0: We are five days away from fundamentally transforming the United States of America. You know, marxism leninism ideology is being pumped into the soft heads of, of, of at least three generations of American students. America first. You could put half of Trump's supporters into what I call the basket of deplorables. Change the perception of reality of every american to such an extent that despite of the abundance of information no one is able to come to sensible conclusions for too long a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of
1: government while the people have borne the cost
0: the racist sexist homophobic xenophobic God bless Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of We The Deplorables. I am your host, Sherry Wilson, and this is the place for faith, family, and freedom. And we're going to continue, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this will be our last episode on the two court cases, the two things that are going on in our country that are extremely important, and that is the January 6th. Situation as well as the Kyle Rittenhouse. Now I want to give you an update on the Kyle, um, or I'm sorry, the January sixth death of Roseanne Boyland that I discussed in the last episode. That she was beaten to death uh, by a police officer, and nothing has been done. They tried to say later that she died from an overdose of uh, attention deficit disorder. Uh, Medication, and that's not the case. She was already dead uh, on January 6, and so hopefully that will start coming out, and there will be some action that will be taken. The um, I guess you could call him police officer that uh, shot Ashley Babbitt, an unarmed uh, woman, uh, has been off. They're not going to do anything with him. So whether they'll do anything with this officer, uh, I hate to say it, but her skin color will play probably play a factor. Not to mention the fact that this. Uh, has been an injustice all the way around, especially when you consider um, how BLM and Antifa uh, burned down buildings for an entire, I think is nine months. But there's video that has been released from the West Terrace Tunnel of the U.S. Capitol, and it shows the details on Ro- Roseanne. She um, collapsed, and then she was beaten, and then she died. So the three-hour video was unsealed in late December, and a January 6th federal criminal case that shows that the 34-year-old Trump supporter entered the, the tunnel, and then she was pushed back, uh, she fell, and then she was struck by police before her lifeless body was dragged actually into the Capitol. So she was already dead on the steps of the Capitol. She was not uh, dead later. Now, the sister, and they have a New York attorney, they've questioned uh, the District of Columbia Medical Examiner's findings because, again, they said that she died of an overdose. But they're pretty sure, again, that she was dead already. Uh, And she's from Georgia, and she had traveled for the Save America rally. And there's a video, which I'll have the link in the show notes, that she was entering the Capitol tunnel, walking next to conservative activists. Philip Anderson, while bystanders continued filing in toward the double doors leading into the Capitol. And then, about two and a half minutes later, the police began to push the crowd back. And so, you see her, um, she's looking down at her feet, and then all of the people start flowing backwards. And then, after about two minutes of seeing her just standing there, she disappears from view because she fell. So the police continue to push the crowd out of the tunnel and it actually causes other people to fall and the, the bodies begin to pile up on the stairs. And so there's a man, he's wearing a blue cap and a jacket with a fur trimmed hood. He points at the ground and he's trying to get the police to stop pushing the people back and then others are holding off the police as well and they're trying to notify them that people have been pushed down and they're being trampled. But they don't listen to them, and they continue to push against the crowd, causing more bystanders, bystanders to fall. So then men are trying to pull people off the pile, and while they're trying to do that, they're doused with pepper spray. So about seven minutes after Boylan was pushed out of the tunnel, a man st- steps in, right in front of the police and shouts, Stop! Because you know people are dying. They're getting trampled. And so he's trying to get the police like stop. And I'm sure it was chaotic. Did the police just ignore them? Or did they not hear them? I'm not sure. But there's actually a picture of this man standing in front of the crowd. Between the crowd and the police saying, stop. He grabs an aluminum metal crutch off the ground. And he holds it out in a blocking motion. And so you see uh, on the lower right edge of the tunnel arch, the video shows a Metropolitan Police Department officer repeatedly striking someone at ground level with a baton or a large stick. Now, I believe I already released the name of this officer. Uh, She's a black uh, woman police officer, and she's just beating Roseanne. And it was the uh, medical examiner, it's 40 times she was at least she was hit. And so the body cam footage that was released in 2021 by the DOJ and cell phone videos posted social media, showed that Boylan was hit by a police officer, again, about 40 times, with a, a small tree branch or a walking stick. So after this, a group of men, they carry her to a spot on the sidewalk, directly in front of the police line at the center of the entrance. And they're frantically performing CPR on her, and her lips are already purple. Another man that's wearing body armor with the patch the red sheriff on the front takes over the CPR for a short time, but then he's pulled away. So police then grab the apparently dead woman by the feet and they drag her into the Capitol. And they're all yelling, "She's dying! She's dying!" And one says, "That's on you, mother!" Expletive. So the crowd then they're in a rage. And they charge at the police. They throw objects, including flagpoles or riot shield and whatever else they can find, including what appears to be a stereo speaker. But the new video confirms the limited body cam footage and eyewitness accounts on January 6th is that Boylan was crushed, trampled when the crowd was pushed out of the tunnel, and then repeatedly struck by police as she lay there unconscious. Now, my question for you is how is that okay when um, George Floyd wasn't. How is it okay for a black police officer to hit an unconscious woman 40 times, killing her? And so if nothing is done, then we know race was a factor. Everybody always calls out race. It's race, 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 race. I'm not saying the police officer was racist. I'm saying that if nothing is done, then it is a racist situation. And so the New York attorney released the surveillance video, and he's calling for, or she, he or she is calling for a special prosecutor to investigate. Uh, And then there's another attorney, Joseph McBride, who's um, representing another woman who was there. And his assessment is, yes, she was killed by the police. And uh, so... Anyway, it's just amazing. I mean, you've got where witnesses were saying that they were screaming that a woman was being trampled by police. Um, another one you know, I saw is a journalist. I saw her lifeless body being crushed under the officers and hit with her, her their batons. They were kicking her viciously. I asked acted to get them off of her, and I was maced. I mean, this is on and on where people are trying to, um, you know, get this woman to safety and the police are actually hitting her and kicking her. Kicking? So conservative conservative activist Anderson, who was by, you know, she was by uh, him before she fell, he said that he held onto her hand while more and more people fell on top of them and then he was later pulled unconscious from the pile of bodies by a Jake Lang and then Lang uh, told um, a new site, Gateway Pundit, that after I tried saving uh, Roseanne for two to three minutes, I couldn't budge her. She was under too many people, and she lost her life. She couldn't be saved. So I moved over, and I spotted uh, Philip Anderson with his tongue hanging out of the side of his mouth, completely unconscious. He was a little bit was in a little bit better of a position for me to get underneath him. So again, this is just unbelievable, and I will have the the where you can watch the video and everything in the notes but i wanted to give you an update because this is happening in our country and again we have people that are still in jail from that day they've not had their day in court they're in solitary confinement they've been um, beaten and abused and treated as terrorists and uh, told that they need to renounce trump and you know blah, blah 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 and they can get out and so guys this this is not a conspiracy you know, I'm. I whenever people start getting into conspiracy theories, I like want to go run and get some foil and make them a hat. I mean, I I am not into conspiracy theories, but studying this, digging in, uh, I found a new search engine which I'm going to give you at the end where you can actually get all of the articles, not just left leaning. Um, this is definitely uh, serious and a takeover of our country and trying to um, cause chaos because the Marxist theology is that out of chaos comes order. Okay, I'll be taking sips of coffee as I go because I got a little bit of a chill this morning and I don't want my teeth chattering. All right, so let's move on to another case that demands our attention, as I've been saying, and that is Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, the reason that this case is so important is it epitomizes the question of the right to defend ourselves. But also reveals the power of the propaganda machine, which is the left wing media and even some of the right wing, uh, to influence society on such a level. That there were millions and millions of dollars in damage and people are now dead because of what happened here. So we need to start at the beginning. That's going to be very important. And the beginning begins with an individual named Jacob Blake. And the link to this Uh, will be in the notes as as well and it's from the epoch times okay so i'm just going to summarize so police were called to domestic violence in kenosha and when they arrived they found and there's video footage again of all of this uh blake was armed with a knife and video footage shows that he was resisting arrest um he had i guess had gone to an ex-girlfriend's home And she had previously accused him of sexual assault. Well, prosecutors decided... um, Well, let me back up. So they arrive. He's at this house. He's already been previously accused of sexual assault. They're telling him he needs to leave. He has a knife. He resists arrest. And so the police officer um, shot him because he was coming at him. Okay. So prosecutors, when they look at this, they decide not to charge the officer in January because he acted in self-defense. And then the Department of Justice also announced it was closing the probe and filing no charges because there was nothing there. And then the sexual assault charge against Jacob was also dropped. Okay, so Blake, uh, Jacob Blake, survived the shooting. He is partially uh, paralyzed. And this is how crazy it got. Some people falsely said that he died. Okay, so that's what was happening. At that time in August, when all this went down, they were saying that he was dead. Uh, one was a representative, Sean Patrick Maloney, a Democrat from New York. He's a chair of the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. He claimed that Blake died and that he was unarmed. Now, later, the committee sent out an updated statement from him saying apologies. That's it. Chris Hayden, his communication director, that's all he he put. Well, apologies about what? So this lie by supposed journalists that Blake was unarmed and died sparked fifty dollars or fifty million dollars of damages due to rioting. By the time the facts came out, Kenosha was on fire. Okay? And not only that, like I said, lives were lost. Influencers, whether they're in Hollywood or D.C. or anywhere else, can impact millions within seconds using social media and mainstream media. Now, here's a couple more examples. Lisa Fazio, a Vanderbilt psychology professor, shared a video of Amber Ruffin, who has her show on NBC, making multiple false or evidence-free claims, including the assertion that Rittenhouse brought a rifle across state lines. That video has been watched more than 7.7 million times since November 19th, boosted by the likes of Representative Elon Omar of Minnesota. Shannon McGregor, a professor at the Hussman School of General, General, Journalism and Media at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, shared a tweet that called uh, Rittenhouse openly white supremacist. That's a claim that has no support There there is no evidence in his background of being a white supremacist. So he was labeled a white supremacist because of the color of his skin. In fact, most people thought for a long time that he shot black people. And some of you listening to this may think that was the case to this day. They were actually all white. Now, remember the Sandman kid that was falsely accused of disrespecting a Native American due to the video angle? That started by an unknown person's tweet, and before before long, it blew up into this huge thing. And I don't know how. I think it's all news organizations except for maybe Fox. Uh, you know, shared this. It was disrespectful. Blah blah blah. And now they're paying the piper. I Always want to say "Enter Sandman" from the Metallica song because this kid is now set uh, for life. Okay. So again, this is all from an Epoch Times. Uh, misinformation about Kyle Rittenhouse and the damage that it caused uh, on Epoch, and I'll have that in the show notes. I think I just said Epoch like five times. I'm not sure. Better get me another cup of coffee. I must be tired. Actually, I'm not, but I'm acting like it. Okay, so after the media poured fuel and then lit the match, burning down Kenosha, the governor refused to call in the National Guard. That was August 23rd. Kyle who is actually from Kenosha, uh, despite the, you know, erroneous—I guess you could use that word—news uh, reports. He has family that lives there. Now I do believe that he now uh, lives like 20 miles away, maybe, uh, but he's regularly in Kenosha because he's got family. And he heard about what was going on, and he decided that he wanted to help. Now, you might be like, well, why does he want to help? I mean, it was a disaster. He might have put his life in danger, which he obviously did. Well, he has served his entire life. If you look at his background, he has served as a lifeguard. He's done lots of uh, volunteer work in uh, wherever he lives, including like cleaning up graffiti and things like that. But he wasn't the only one that was asked that day to help protect businesses that were being threatened by so-called mainly peaceful protesters. I will never forget that CNN reporter literally standing in front of burning buildings in Kenosha saying they're mainly peaceful. Uh, Lots of them were doing that. And there were, um, uh, again, others that were there to try to protect the businesses. And they were exercising their right to bear arms. Now, let me go to uh, Kyle's testimony of events, which I'm only going to read parts of it. So it may be a little bit, um, choppy at times cause I'm going to scan through some of it, but all of this has been verified by video. In fact, he has said, and the people that defended him that if it wasn't for video, he would probably be in jail. Uh, so on, um, the stand, he, you know, which again, that's, uh, amazing because a lot of people will not, you know, get on the stand and, to defend themselves, but he was, um, you know, on trial for killing two men, including a third, during Black Lives Matter, uh, Black Lives Matter protests. In fact, he even said in an interview, "I supported the cause of Black Lives Matter." Now, a lot of people don't know that they're a Marxist organization, mar- train Marxists, according to their own words, which I did an entire podcast series on. But this kid is 18 years old, and. He said that on the night of the shooting, after he spoke to a friend on the phone, he started toward a car source, which I think it was a used car lot, to put out fires that were being set during the riots. He said that Joseph Rosenbaum, which we're going to get into, came out from behind the car and ambushed him. Okay? He said... I look over my shoulder and Mr. Rosenbaum was now running from my right side and I was cornered from in front of me. There were people right there. So it sounds like Rosenbaum is coming from the right side and then he looks and there's people in front of him. So now he's feeling like he's caged in. He said that before he shot Rosenbaum, Rittenhouse said Rosenbaum had threatened to kill him Uh, He was walking with a steel chain. He had a blue mask around his face, and he was just mad about something is what he said. And he had actually threatened to kill a lot of people that night. So the team said he was trying to determine if any of the people at the protest needed medical help before Rosenbaum screamed, if I catch any of you blanks alone, I'm going to blank kill you. And he was screaming, and he said, I'm going to cut out your blank hearts, uh, I'm not going to repeat the second word, but "kill you" n-word is what he was saying. So he basically called Kyle, who is very white, um, the n-word, which it's so baffling. I I'm not sure how that's happening. A white guy calling another white guy the n-word when they're supposed to be there, um, you know, to protect, you know, and support black lives. So anyway, he says. That after he throws the bag and he continues to run, he's gaining speed on me. A gunshot is fired from behind me, directly behind me. I take a few steps, and that's when I turn around. As I'm turning around, Mr. Rosenbaum is coming at me with his arms out in front of him, and I remember his hand on the barrel of my gun. And so then his attorney said, what would you do next? And he said, I shot him. So then he continued running, and he was trying to get to the police station. Okay? So then he said that the other individual who was fatally shot, which is Anthony Huber, tried to swing his skateboard at him like a baseball bat before hitting him. Rittenhouse said that he ran. So again, he's running. He's trying to get away from these people, which if you've had any concealed training courses, you know that's what you're supposed to do. If there's any way for you to run or get yourself out of the uh, dangerous situation without shooting people, that's what you're supposed to do. So he was running. He fell down. And he was struck uh, twice by a concrete rock. So he's on his back, and then, and you can see in the video, I'm sure if you haven't seen it, I mean it's everywhere, that Huber then struck him in the neck with his skateboard a second time. Huber tried to dr- grab his rifle and felt it coming free, so the teen, the teen fired his weapon once. Now around that same time, Gage uh, Grosskreutz. I don't know, pointed his own gun at Rittenhouse's head, which he actually testified he did that. And so Rittenhouse shot him in the arm. And he said, my rifle is down, my hands are up, his pistol is in his hand. And then he looks at me, and that's when he brings his arm down, like his arm is like that with me on the ground, and his pistol is pointed at me, and that's when I shot him. Now, this is interesting. Uh, And I think, I can't remember who brought this out. It might have been Tucker Carlson, but the self-control this young man used you know like if if you're running he's trying to get to the police number ones. So the very idea that he's thinking okay i need to escape and get to the police is shocking because when you're in those types of situations of life and death you don't always think straight so that right there is amazing the second thing that's amazing is he didn't just fire willy-nilly where bullets were going everywhere and he's gunning people down he was very controlled. In fact, you can see in the video, and I believe it's this last interaction with this Gage character, that it looked like Gage was going to change his mind and not shoot Kyle. And so Kyle literally lowered his weapon, because you're not supposed to point at people unless you have you know, the, the intent to shoot So he lowers his weapon thinking it's being diffused and then he sees Gage changes his mind, brings his weapon back up and that's when Kyle brought his up and he only shot once. You know, they said they're like, I don't know how many rounds people said he shot. I think it was three rounds. I'm not sure. Um, But the fact that he had that much self-control in defending his life is absolutely stunning. And so, you know, here's the, you know, Kyle shot three black men that were unarmed. He traveled across state lines with a gun. He had an AK-47. He fired, I think it was like 50 rounds, one guy said. It might have been more. You know, he came there purposely just to shoot protesters. None of that is true. And then, back when all of this was going on, Joe Biden was a candidate. And he um, claimed during a cable uh, TV appearance that Rittenhouse was part of a militia and also that um, he was a white supremacist. And uh, that is not true at all. And um, and it was interesting because when he was acquitted, Biden first said, you know, justice is, you know, that's what justice is. But then later, when he got pushed back, he said he's angry about the verdict. Uh, so. Yeah, the thing that's interesting is that these people can just get away with saying whatever they want to say, and it's literally based on the color of your skin. So if you don't support burning down cities and, uh, and support you know, all these ridiculous things that they're doing as far as Nobel and uh, DAs that won't prosecute certain crimes, et cetera, et cetera, if you don't support those things, then you're a white supremacist. And so we know that Biden has no intention of apologizing even though people are wanting him to. And I remember when the verdict came in that day, I was listening to a news report and that it wasn't until the jury deliberations that the Brazilian press realized Kyle hadn't shot three black men. Even to this day, there are people that are lying about the race of the men he shot, to this day. Um, Let me see if I can find this. There's uh, one guy who's written a book. Let me bring this up. Okay. National Geographic writer falsely said a new book that Kyle Rittenhouse killed two black men. Uh, Kara Cooney wrote in The Good Kings that Rittenhouse used his semi-automatic weapon to kill two black men in Kenosha, Wisconsin, while waging a glorious race war on behalf of his inherited white power. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Cooney is white, uh, said on Twitter that the misinformation was my mistake, and I apologize. So, this tiny detail, is what some are saying, um, was a you know big mistake, she says, about a massive American issue, and that's on me. But the white supremacy is still a problem. Aha, uh-huh. okay, so um, basically we've got this person who has written a book, which the book should be stopped and the corrections made before it goes out to press, whether it will or not, I don't know. So you still got people lying about the entire thing. So let's dive in to who exactly these men were, okay, because that's very important, Um Let's see here. Try to get this advertisement gone. Okay, so here's the criminal records. And you may be like, well, that's not very nice. You know, a victim's a victim. Well, um, maybe, but these people were bad actors. And we're going to get into why maybe there are bad actors. But first of all, is uh, Joseph Rosenbaum. He was a registered sex offender, he was on the Wisconsin Sex Offender Registry for the Arizona Child Molestation. Case. His record was over the top. Um, he faced 11 charges in the case that landed him as a sex offender, and they were then amended in a plea deal. But he received 10 years in prison in 2002 for sexual contact with a minor, and he was sentenced to two years and six months for sexual contact with a minor related to the same 2002 incident. But if I'm not mistaken, it appears, let me see if it's in my notes that he's actually, he uh, molested, let's see. Nope, I didn't write it down. I thought it was in this report. He molested, I believe it was uh, five boys between the ages of six and 11 because he still has um, pending criminal cases. Uh, I'm looking at his rap sheet uh, right now. He's got um, assault. Uh, Possession of drugs and narcotics Arson um, Throwing substances Contraband um, Weapon charges Assault with weapons um, Disobeying orders This is probably uh, In his um, Yeah these are disciplinary fractions uh, When he was it looks like in jail Um, Now we've got uh, Let's see he jumped bail. He had domestic violence and domestic abuse. And then, when his uh, fiance found photography on his, or pornography on his phone, Rosenbaum body slammed her. And then he ended in jail and he attempted suicide. So he was literally he had literally been released from custody the night of um, uh, the the riots and went out in the streets just to cause problems. Okay. All right, now we have Anthony Huber. Court records in Wisconsin show that Huber was Huber was convicted of disorderly conduct in 2018 as a domestic abuse repeater. Uh, he also was cited for possessing drug paraphernalia. He was found guilty of a felony for, get this, strangulation and suffocation domestic abuse. He was also convicted in that case of felony false imprisonment, with a dangerous weapon and domestic abuse. So felony false imprisonment is kidnapping. A charge of second degree recklessly endangering safety was dismissed and uh, read in as was a charge of battering two charges of disorderly conduct. Um, it appears uh, regarding this case, because this came out in Rittenhouse's trial, it involved his brother. So Anthony Huber told his brother, if he didn't start cleaning a room in his house, he's going to cu- gut him like a pig. So the New York Post reported that Huber did this while holding a six-inch butcher's knife to the brother's stomach. Huber grabbed his brother by the neck, dug his nails in, and choked him for approximately 10 seconds. He put a knife to his brother's left ear, and his brother felt it cut. The defense attorney said that Huber said, I'm going to burn the house down with all you effers in it. Okay, So these are the good Samaritans that were trying to stop the 17-year-old at the time from protecting car dealerships from being uh, burnt to the ground by uh, mostly peaceful protesters, according to CNN. Then you have Gage's criminal record. He was the only one that survived. He was shot in the arm. Um, So he looks like a saint compared to the others, but he did admit in court that he did point his gun at Kyle right before he shot him. He was running after Kyle, and you might have seen that hilarious exchange between Rittenhouse's defense attorney and this guy where he's like, were you chasing him? He goes, no. And he's like, well, I mean, you were running after Kyle, right? Yep. Well, wouldn't that be chasing? Nope. Okay, well, I don't know what planet this guy lives on, but if you're running after somebody, you are chasing. So anyway, he was convicted of a felony. It was later expunged. He had a misdemeanor conviction of intoxicated use of a firearm and he received probation. And uh, um, that his arrest and case history from the state department of justice is much longer than you can currently find online court records. It shows a string of dismissed cases and expunged felony convictions. And so I'm wondering if maybe he has just either a good lawyer or something else is going on, but uh, a police report in West Alice, Wisconsin accused him of lurking in an area where police in that suburban Milwaukee community kept their private vehicles videotaping them. And uh, so, man, he he's creepy. That's all I can tell you is he's creepy. Because if he's videotaping personal ve- vehicles in a rear police parking lot, why? Why? And he's already made it very clear his anti-law enforcement views, right? So he was arrested for prowling. He was booked, cited, and then um release and he also admitted during his testimony that his concealed carry permit was uh expired which made it illegal for him to be carrying it in fact you know while i'm sitting here maybe i should make sure that mine isn't expired (laughs) let's see here pull it out i always have it on me in my phone and okay i'm good until 2025 very good very good okay (laughs) All right. So those are the people that have been made heroes. All right. So, um, you know, the people that were involved in these situations all had pistols as well. And the majority of them were felons. And so you're not supposed to carry. And you'll see like in the video, if you watch it of what happened that night, that in spite of the cement bricks and the repeated attacks of the mobs and all that, he was trying to get to the police, and he used extreme discipline, like I said earlier. Okay, so I want to um, now dive in real quick to, um, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it on, it's Fox Nation, which I highly recommend, because you can get some of this stuff uh, in Tucker uh, Carlson's series that he can't go into depth on Fox News. In fact, um, as you know, I rely on a lot of his information as far as January 6th. Uh, but let me see if I can find this part in Tucker Carlson Originals, and it's on anar- anarcho-tyranny. So let me see if I can find it. I meant to have it up. <clears throat> Excuse me. While we're waiting, I'll get in there drink a coffee. I don't know if I want to wait this long. Oh, here we go. Okay. So let's see here. Chaos on the streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin,
1: coming after the police shooting of a black man on Sunday. To be honest, Tucker, this case has nothing to do with race.
0: Shoot me, nigga! That white supremacist 17-year-old Kyle Rittenhouse.
1: This wasn't a political case. The 17-year-old kid just running around, shooting and killing protesters. It had to do with the right to self-defense. Do you think you'll ever be able to convince people of that? Anarcho-tyranny. You may have heard the term. Here's the most straightforward definition. It means anarchy for the people in charge, tyranny for the population. Anarcho-tyranny is a system in which pedophiles and career criminals are released from prison by the state to terrorize the law abiding. The law abiding defend themselves. They're prosecuted by the state for murder, smeared by the media as terrorists. Arguably a domestic terrorist. All as corporate sponsored activist groups burn their country to the ground. We're seeing this, but we've seen it before. In the years before the Bolshevik Revolution, Russia was deeply destabilized by crime and chaos. And that set the stage for the Bolshevik takeover. In the Soviet Union, during the Great Terror, political dissidents were put on trial for daring to defend themselves against criminals. In the Soviet Union, you could only use a knife in self-defense after you'd been stabbed. Does that sound familiar? The trial of Kyle Rittenhouse may be the first anarcho-tyrannical show trial in the United States. It may not be the last.
0: Former Trump advisor Steve Bannon has been indicted, failing to honor a subpoena from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol insurrection.
1: Our documentary team was there in Kenosha to memorialize what happened and interview the man who became a symbol of a divided America. Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle Rittenhouse. Oh, Kyle Rittenhouse.
0: Okay, now that is a very interesting take uh, on what is happening And his definition is one of the best I have ever heard of anarcho tyranny. And uh, so, like he said, it's the release of criminals into society to increase crime and chaos and pave the way for a takeover. Now, look at San Francisco, look at Seattle, look at New York, look at all these places where you have these bought and paid for by George Soros DAs being put into office and they're not prosecuting crime. So now crime is getting out of hand and the goal of it is to cause as much distress as possible so that people will be willing to take any rule whatsoever. And, um, uh, and so this is this is amazing because we're seeing the very thing that they did in the Bolshevik Revolution. There, it's happening in our own society. And so there's a a link to um, the Westphalian uh, Times by Avanti, Avanti, I believe is her name, and she's talking about um, anarch. Anarcho-tyranny. And she says, We hear news of violence, rioting, and crimes daily. However, a more sinister phenomenon, one that threatens to take over our lives, is being ignored. And that's the rise of anarcho-tyranny. Many of us may not be familiar with the term, but it's important we learn about it. She says, What is anarcho-tyranny? The first definition of the term comes from Samuel Francis. He describes anarcho-tyranny as a concept where the state is more interested in controlling citizens so they don't oppose the managerial class rather than tending to real criminals. Laws are argued to be enforced selectively depending on what is beneficial to the ruling elite. The very presence of anarcho-tyranny seems far-fetched, but it's actually all around us, she says. Governments, Politics, administrative institutions, the mainstream media are full of it. The fact that we don't recognize it shows how habituated we have become to it. There are many ways in which anarcho-tyranny is enforced on citizens. These are, number one, a certain violent group, certain violent groups are allowed to protest without mastering the lockdown. But poor small business owners weren't allowed to open up to feed their family. Number two, people with particular political affiliations are allowed to destroy public property, but others are imprisoned even for speaking against the establishment. Elected officials and senators get to throw parties, but common people can't even attend funerals or religious places during COVID-19. Petty crimes for uh, some people are punished disproportionately, but actual criminals are allowed to roam free. Uh, January 6th is a good example of that. Invasion of personal rights through excessive control or regulation. Number six, censorship of free speech and press freedoms, not to mention the media itself lying to people for biased propaganda. Number seven, public slander in the form of defamation, bullying, harassment, or cancel culture for having a different opinion and use of digital or tech devices to spy on people in order to collect their personal data. In fact, In one, uh, I think it's a government institution, if I'm not mistaken, they are now making a database to put all the people that objected to the vaccine based on religious uh, reasons into. And a big reason for a lot of this is the size of government, but also the desire to take over. Like even big corporations want to take over markets. And so they want to push small businesses out and control our choices. And we saw this with the shutdowns. Again, you have indiscriminate shutting down of essential and non-essential businesses. Well, first of all, who gets to decide what is essential and non-essential? Number one. Number two, what happened? It pushed everybody into Walmart and Amazon because they could stay open. So it pushed everybody into these big box stores. And they became billionaires and even more billionaires, billionaire, and, uh, and then the small businesses suffered. So again, this article will be in um, the uh, show notes so that you can check it out. But here we have these three men that went after Kyle. Um, they should have been in jail. At least a couple of them should have been in jail. They should not have been out. They were let out. And it was during a riot, and all of a sudden, instead of any of the real actors who actually burned down buildings, those charges were dismissed. But the white kid who defended himself based on his Second Constitution, uh, a sec- uh, Second Amendment rights, uh, is instead prosecuted. Uh, it's the same thing with the guy that ran over people in the parade. He should have been in jail. He just ran over his girlfriend, she had tire tracks on her legs. And they let him out on bail. So this is anarcho-tyranny. This is exactly uh, what is happening. And don't even get me started on the prosecutor. He's a joke. This prosecutor is a joke. He said that the minute you have your um, weapon, you forfeit your right to defend yourself. Now let that sink in. So even if you have a second amendment, concealed carry, et cetera, you'd live in an open carry place. The minute you put on your weapon, you have no right to defend yourself. I don't even even have words. Like I feel my IQ literally lowering just thinking about him thinking something that dumb. And then the fat guy that was the co-counsel with the prosecutor said, well, Kyle shouldn't have shot him. He just needs to learn to be beaten up every once in a while. All of us have had to be beaten up. You, You get over it. I mean, it's over and over. Even the even the judge is like, I don't know what's going on here, but this is ridiculous. I mean, he would he kept offending the rights enshrined in the Constitution, and then on top of that, they gave the defense a grainy video from the drone versus a high quality HD video that they had, so that they couldn't see things uh, as well. And then you also have where NBC producers um, sent journalists, if you can call them that, to try to find the homes of Kyle Rittenhouse's trial jurors. This is crazy. Uh, A man was stopped while following a bus carrying Kyle Rittenhouse jurors last month, told police officers he was ordered to do so by his superiors at NBC News and signaled the goal was to learn where the jurors lived. This is amazing. This is absolutely amazing. And the only reason he was caught is a Kenosha police officer witnessed him. Um, He was with the Atlanta. On November 17th, he was waiting for jurors to get on the bus, and then he followed the vehicle after it pulled out of the parking lot, and he stalked the bus for nearly five miles. And uh, he even went through a red light. And uh, so the officer um, pulled him over And stopped them. I mean, and they have body cam footage, so you can literally see this guy say what he was sent to do. These these are the people in the media. This is what we're dealing with now. And I think citizen journalism really needs to up its game. It's going to continue to improve, and we're going to actually have real journalists through citizens uh, versus through these jokers. So this is this by breaking this down. Um, I wanted to show you what is going on here and this anarchy, uh, anarcho tyranny is a real thing. It's a major concern and it needs to be. And, uh, let's see this lady in that Westphalian times, she said, just like the problems, the solutions are not short or simple. Awareness and education is a first step in combating misinformation and ignorance Forget big tech or mainstream media. Books, social, and independent media are already doing their bit. The laws are not the problem. Their selective enforcement is. For this, a parallel, rotating institution made up of citizen representatives all ages and professions and a voter system of checks and balances might help. Most importantly, and I agree 100%, we need to strengthen the bonds of family and community as a support system. It's not easy but it's necessary to be aware of our rights and speak out about them. And so that's where being local, small is a new big, small is a new big as far as churches, small is a new big as far as government. We've been distracted with the federal elections while ignoring the local and the state. And so what happens is people like George Soros and others that want to take down this country have learned that you need to put in people on the local level. And, and so small, again, is the new big. And so if enemies of this country and our spiritual enemy is targeting local, how much more should the, the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the ruling government of God on earth, be focused on um, social uh, or local matters and local elections and making sure there's poll watchers and no nonsense occurs, which they did in Virginia. That's why Yunkin won. So all of these things, local is the most important because George Soros is putting his people in. Like the DA that's in Manhattan, he's got everybody freaking out. Guess what? He was bought and paid for by George Soros. So the action steps I'd like you to consider is helping um, Kyle's uh, expenses because of the trial and security. Because of the media lies, and I'm sure there's going to be some Um, justification coming up when it comes to the media and how they lied about them just like with Sandman but FreeKyleUSA.org is where you can go and do that also uh, when I was researching this case I got really frustrated because I do want other sources of information and I can't always get them on Epoch. and I wanted to know the criminal record of the people that Kyle shot because I had heard that the Rosenbaum was a, a pedophile And, you know, you try to search that on, excuse me, Google or Yahoo, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find anything negative. And so finally, which is ironic, I use Google to search for real search engines that are not biased. And I found one. It's called the Neva search engine. N as in Nancy, E-E, V as in Victor, A, Neva.com. Uh, I was blown away at the balance. You know, there wasn't any bias in the searches. So if good or bad, all of it came up. And, uh, and so I was very, very excited about that because I get most of my you know news from Epoch Times and Daily Wire, but I still needed a search engine where I could get some real uh, results, and Neva does that. And then also go to the hubapostolictraining.com Download the Take Action, Save America resource. And then our recommend, recommended reading for this week is Rigged by Molly Hemingway. It's a thick read, but it's about how the media, big tech, and the Democrats seized our elections. So she's a fabulous and a real journalist. She is um, right-leaning, but uh, she's very, what's the word? Um, she has integrity. And uh, so I highly recommend that book. And then it's time for our good news. Okay, so little, boy stuff, little boy's stuffed Bambi was rescued from a frozen canal. He didn't think people would care. So everyone, you know, talks about, you know, Santa's favorite red-nosed reindeer. Well, his namesake, um, Rudolph, a beloved stuffed toy fawn belonging to four-year-old Nico, uh, did not. He found out the hard way while on a walk with his mom Brenda Duke and siblings two year old Santiago and six year old Sebastian when his little brother decided to test his pitching arm by tossing the uh, stuffed animal over the railing next to the frozen waters of Ottawa's uh, Ridu, uh, canal, Rideau Canal. He wasn't able to get his little buddy. He wasn't able to you know get him, and so they returned um, you know from visiting Rudolph more than once, and he was sad. However. The little Bambi landed in close proximity to a distance marker sign. He wasn't too hard to find, but prospects for him coming home didn't look good. So after several days of snow, the fawn began to slowly disappear beneath a blanket of white, only leaving a little bump. That's when his brother, Sebastian, came up with an idea. During the pandemic, neighborhood social media became become a lifeline to the community. that was isolated. So Sebastian urged his mom to reach out to neighbors to see if they might be able to help him get Rudolph. Now, she was skeptical at first. She didn't want to bother anybody, and she didn't really think that they would care. But Sebastian was pretty persistent and persuasive. So she put, If anyone, and this is on Twitter, happens to see a stuffy reindeer, I think it's a fawn actually, when the canal opens, my kids would be grateful. And then she had a photo showing the last whereabouts circled in red. And then the toddler threw it in, you know, she explains. I know it's unlikely since the clear uh, snow now and it will be even more buried, but my six-year-old asked me to post here. They come visit on our daily walks now. It's the little mound you see. Now, a rescue mission was quickly mounted. <laughs> this is funny. So they. Uh, it says in a tweet, Rideau Canal Skateway, after several hours of relentless searching, our courageous NCC Skateway skateway team saved a stuffed baby deer from a most tragic end. He is now safe and sound while he defrosts. We know a young owner will be very happy to find him. So they basically went on a rescue mission, (laughs) and they found uh, Rudolph. He was uh, thawed and groomed. And then the prodigal stuffy was reunited with a joyful Nico and his grateful family at NCC headquarters. And so anyway, that that is just such a sweet story and a great way to end this week's podcast. Until next time, God bless America.